0: Welcome to The Policy Shop, weekly conversations with public policy experts where we'll dive into the most important issues affecting all of us here in Illinois. I'm Hillary Gowans. Let's get started. Joining me today is Amy Cordy, Vice President of Policy at the Illinois Policy Institute. Parents and students across the state have had their lives turned completely upside down by COVID and ongoing public school closures, and it isn't over yet. Chicago Public Schools is just about to get kids back into the classroom after the Chicago Teachers Union walked out on students January 5th. CPS, however, is far from the only district that has seen ongoing disruptions to in-person learning. Our policy team has been looking at the data on closures and the outcomes that have resulted, and we'll talk about what those numbers show us today. Amy, thanks for joining me. Hi, Hillary. Good to be here. I'm so happy to get to talk with you about this because we talk about schools and COVID all the time. We're both moms who have somehow been able to continue working through all of this. So I guess in a lot of ways that makes us really lucky, but I think that we're no stranger to the challenges of COVID education and COVID parenting.
1: Yeah, absolutely. It's been
0: quite a ride this last, uh, what, 22 months or so. Yeah. And you have a a bigger spread than I do. So I just have two kids in preschool and you've got kids throughout, you know, school ages and so grade school, high school and college. So I've seen all the COVID policies. You've seen it all. Yes. Um, Well, you have seen it all with your kids and you've seen it all because you've done an extensive dive on what data are available. Right. So um, I guess if you could just walk us through to start, What was remote learning like for schools across Illinois? And now the data that you're gonna talk about is primarily public school data, right? Yes. All Illinois schools, as you
1: recall, were ordered to shut down for in-person learning completely in March of 2020. And that affected private schools as well as public schools. Um, But then in June of 2020, the Illinois Department of Public Health and the Illinois State Board of Education said that all Illinois schools could open for the 2020-2021 school year as long as they followed certain health protocols. So the following year in Illinois, there was a wide range of schooling arrangements in public schools. So you had... Unfortunately, many, many Illinois school kids were completely shut out of classrooms to start in the fall of 2020. Of Illinois' 10 largest school districts, which is over 500,000 kids, of Illinois' roughly 2 million uh, public school kids in K through 12, there's only, there only one that even attempted to open on a hybrid part-time basis in the fall of 2020. The other nine largest public school districts in Illinois were all fully remote in the fall of 2020. And that, as we'll discuss later, has had really big
0: impacts on Illinois students and their families. So compare us to other states, because I know that in, in states like Florida, for example, kids didn't have the same experience. Most of them were in person uh, for a lot longer, uh, you know, maybe even as early as uh, spring of 2020, i have to check that, but I've heard from some folks that in private school, that was the case, but where does Illinois stack up compared with other states and their public school closures? Well, leaving aside private schools for
1: a second, Illinois public schools were among the least likely to reopen for fully in-person learning in the 2020-2021 school year. The CDC published a study that showed that only one in 10 Illinois public school students had access to fully in-person learning for that school year between September and April. So Illinois ranked in the bottom 10, I think number 42 among US states for offering fully in-person learning for the um, previous school year, 2020 to 2021. And the, um, the Midwest, excluding Illinois was different than that. Illinois was the worst for in-person schooling in the Midwest. All of Illinois' Midwestern neighbors
0: offered far more fully in-person learning than Illinois did. So a big part of the conversation around um, schools and COVID is, is related to mental health. Now, of course, you and I are not mental health professionals. That said, we've read extensively on what's going on here. And and just anecdotally, you know, I think over the course of the pandemic, as a parent, I can say that the uncertainty about what was going to happen with our kids was very disruptive and very difficult to deal with. I've witnessed other people who couldn't, you know, deal with the uncertainty. And so they made major choices, you know, maybe they moved out of state maybe uh, they pulled their kids out of school altogether and started to homeschool. But you've, you've read a lot about the, the mental health outcomes and problems that have arisen with the kids. And I, I know you re- referenced a couple of statistics to me earlier. Do you mind sharing what you've read?
1: Yeah, it's, it's absolutely heartbreaking. The US Surgeon General pointed to the mental health crisis that the pandemic has really exacerbated among American youth in December, he mentioned that. And some of the statistics are just horrifying. There was an increase in emergency department visits among teens for mental health related reasons. And in 2021, there's a 51% increase in ER visits among teen girls for suspected suicide attempts compared to the same period in 2019. So the combination of sports shutdowns that Illinois experienced and school closures, the lack of access to friends, to supportive adults in the school environment, the lack of enjoyable extracurricular activities like choir and uh, theater and band and seeing your friends in the hallway, all the things that make school fun were was gone for so many students across the country um, and for sure in Illinois and those, uh, results that, that impact is just going to continue to be felt. It's certainly not over for America's youth. And I think, unfortunately, there will probably be ramifications in youth's um, lifelong learning and even their economic prospects from the, the terrible uh, impact of school closures. And, like I said, the shutdown of ordinary, normal, needed uh, social contact and extracurricular outlets.
0: And school is so much more than just what you do in the classroom. And you mentioned that it's a community. It's a a group of people who support you, who push you, who expose you to new ideas. Um, And, you know, as a lot of these statistics started to roll out about what was happening to kids in terms of their mental health challenges, we also saw a really compelling study come from the Wall Street Journal that linked to a lot of problems with teenage girls in particular, and their heightened use of social media. So Mm. it seems like there are a lot of these um, issues colliding during the pandemic. You know, the increased time isolated at home, the increased screen time, the increased time on your phone, maybe leaning on social media, like Facebook and Instagram to fill that community void, you know, for little kids too we were told by our pediatricians to limit screen time, you know, right. Like I remember yeah. two and a half years ago, we were told to limit my children's screen time to what is it? American Academy of pediatricians says like less than an hour a day, less yeah. than half an hour a day. I can't remember. Um, I think the less was better was always the message. Totally. Yeah. And then, you know, I I've got neighbor kids who are in preschool and kindergarten and they tried to put these kids on a laptop all day and it's just, it's, it's really heartbreaking. And I hope that, you know, that we turn things around for kids, but they have really borne the brunt of this. Yeah, absolutely. I think that the, the kids have definitely
1: um, borne a really disproportionate share of the burden of mitigating COVID-19. They, they will be paying for the decisions of adults for, for
0: many, many years to come. And so back to that data that you've been analyzing, too, we know we talked about some of the mental health issues that have gotten worse during the pandemic for kids, but let's talk about educational outcomes, because the Illinois report card came out uh, not too long ago and showed some pretty uh, concerning changes in terms of academic preparedness for kids during the, the most recent school year they studied. So what did they find is happening Um, based on test scores for Illinois students?
1: Well, Illinois students test scores took a big dive between 2019 before the pandemic and 2021. And I should note, only 70% of Illinois school students even took this test. So I don't know what the results would have been if 100% of Illinois public school students had even taken these tests. So we're talking about grade school students, the Illinois State Board of Education released results for the Illinois Assessment of Readiness Test that third through eighth graders take, and also for the SAT that high school juniors take. So combining all those scores, they found that 17% fewer Illinois students met or exceeded their grade level standards in English language arts, and 18% fewer students were at grade level in math. So this is just a big dive from before the pandemic to the 2021 school year and give you a glimpse at just how insufficient remote learning was. And um, it's really, when you look at some of the actual scores, it's really sobering. So I I think it was, I'm just consulting my notes here, uh, 28% of third graders read at grade level and 22% of sixth graders could do math at a sixth grade level. So when you look at that, I mean, these students were not at all prepared to to excel in school, to hit the ground running at the next grade and to advance and further their educational achievement. So the the remote learning, I think it is just widely agreed among everyone. It it has been a disaster for students and it has had really big impacts on their performance on tests and Emily Oster. An economist at Brown co-authored a paper in November with some other academics, and they found that the scores were um, the drop in scores was much more stark among students from districts that offered the least in-person learning in the 2020-2021 school uh, school year. So the the fall in test scores is definitely very closely linked to the lack of in-person learning. And they also found, and this is really Um, This is really a a terrible indication of who who got to go to school and who didn't get to go to school. So among districts with already vulnerable populations, districts where kids were already not at grade level, by and large on tests, and um, districts with higher percentage of minority kids, they found that those districts were even less likely to offer in-person schooling than just other districts. So a lot of these kids who were really left behind by the remote schooling of the 2020-2021 school year were kids with, you know, a lot to lose who could least afford
0: to have that remote schooling be their only option. There are a couple of points I want to just latch on to there, but I guess the obvious is that we're just coming off of this most recent Chicago public schools shutdown um, which was instigated by the Chicago Teachers Union walking away from the classroom on January 5th. So when you talk about the students and the districts that are most negatively affected by the remote learning setup, you have to think about Chicago. So I think we'll talk about that later on, but wow, that that's, that's not good at all. And I guess you know, we're talking about test scores. I'm trying to think about this from the point of view of a teacher or an administrator or somebody in the education system. And I think that what they would say is, look, you know, this is a reflection of a really difficult year. Parents were struggling, schools were struggling. Um, We didn't know much about this pandemic at the outset. And so we were scrambling to set up a remote learning system that just didn't exist on a wide scale. And so you have to cut us a little slack here. What's the what's the other side of that, though? Because I think that that's fair to an extent. Right. I mean, this was unprecedented. But then at a certain point, you know, we got we we finished one school year and we started another And so many of these districts were still facing the same issues. And many of these kids were still learning remotely. So what's the problem with that argument that this was just unprecedented and so that's why we got 22 months of a failing setup?
1: COVID-19 was certainly unprecedented, but we had a preview of what remote learning was gonna be like in the spring of 2020 when all the schools had to go remote and it was not good. And the the kids were clearly already not doing well then. Chicago had thousands of kids who fell off the grid completely in the spring of 2020, did not report for remote instruction at all. And uh, you know, you could tell clearly students were already falling way behind. Then they, it was not a successful mode of instruction. So, given that in the fall of 2020, many, many Illinois private schools said, "Oh, we will be in person," and they made it happen. They, you know, reconfigured their classrooms. Everybody was careful about staying home if they were sick. And the Archdiocese of Chicago was fully in person. For the most part, you know, there were definitely weeks when people had to go remote in the 2020-2021 school year, but they struggled really hard and successfully offered in-person instruction to the, you know, some of the same communities of kids who where CPS was saying, no, we're only remote. And you could tell this year, we'll, we'll talk about enrollment later, but Chicago, public, or Chicago Archdiocesan schools saw a big bump in their enrollment this year versus CPS, which saw a drop in their enrollment. So it it could be done, it was done successfully last year. And so, you know, that's fine. Maybe the first semester of the 2020-2021 school year, some schools just didn't think they could offer in-person schooling full-time. But then by the spring semester, again, it was clear, this is not a good mode of instruction. And, you know, by then there were plans to go back to in-person learning. And again, with Chicago, the Chicago public schools had a plan to start in-person learning, at least on a hybrid basis, in the winter of 2021. And the Chicago Teachers Union walked out and refused to report to um, classrooms for in-person instruction on schedule in January. So Chicago's in-person learning at that point was put off again. And so those kids didn't go back until between February and April, depending on your grade in the Uh, spring 2021. So all along we could see. And then by the spring of 2021, it's interesting because the Chicago Teachers Union, as a condition of going back in the um, January of 2021, demanded to have priority for vaccination. At that time, uh, vaccines were pretty scarce and it was you know, allotted by priority groups. And so a lot of public health officials fought to get teachers first in line for vaccines. And I don't think anybody really balked at that. Everybody was happy just to get teachers back in classrooms and thought that they clearly offer essential services. They, they should be first in line for vaccines along with other essential workers. But so given that, and that, uh, you know, Chicago Public Schools does have really high vaccination rates, now everybody who can have a vaccine or who wants one can have one, and so to think that here we are in the winter of 2022 and having this battle again to keep kids in school, there's no justification for it. And public health officials across the country have called that out and said they have fought for teachers to get access to vaccines. And now, if if you know if they're not going to be in school, there's just no justification for it because They have that access, they have safety protocols in place in Chicago, and billions of dollars have flowed from the federal government to states, to schools for ventilation, for other kind of mitigating technology and practices. And so there's, there's no justification at this point to keep kids locked out of classrooms and for teachers not to be you know, reporting in in person, especially on a district-wide basis. Again, I I know that some schools are definitely having staffing shortages because people are out with COVID or have to be in quarantine or they've got a child at home who's in quarantine. But uh, on a district-wide basis, CPS has 330,000 students to uh, try to shut down the entire district because maybe some people are gonna need to be um, home for COVID. There's no justification for it. And as a public health measure, it actually makes it even harder to staff our hospitals when you have so many parents who are involved in healthcare, where What are those nurses going to do? What are those doctors going to do? What are those ER techs going to do if their kids are at home because the CPS classrooms are shut because CTU won't go back to in-person schooling? So that actually is not a, uh, it's not a good measure for public health when you're keeping nurses home from their shifts or doctors home from their shifts because they have to be with students who can't be in their classrooms. So you know, early on, you could, you could see why governors um, across the country were shutting down schools in March of 2020, but by now we have tools in place. We have vaccinations, we have all, all kinds of things that we didn't have in March of 2020, and there is no reason for schools to be shut down.
0: Another one of those arguments that I hear to explain why it's okay that, you know, kids didn't make huge gains in the recent academic school years is kids are resilient. I've heard that a lot and more so earlier on in the pandemic, you know, well, we have remote learning, kids are going to be learning a little bit differently, maybe not as effectively, but kids are resilient. I think that you touched on why That's not necessarily true in this case on this scale when you reference those really startling points about um, ER visits and and suicide attempts, especially among adolescent girls. But I think when you combine the mental health struggles with the lagging student outcomes, that this has really important long-term effects for a lot of kids. So as a mom, as a policy expert, Why does all of this matter so much in the long term? It matters for several reasons.
1: First of all, you only get so many years in school. You only get so many years as a grade schooler, as a high schooler. If you start falling really dramatically behind in those crucial years, when are you going to catch up? If some of these kids have, you know, lost so much learning, how are they gonna catch up so that they can go on to college, so that they can go on to good careers in the trades, so they can, you know, live up to their fullest potential. I think that, you know, if if we just accept that learning loss is an okay thing and kids are resilient and kids are tough, then we are sacrificing their their future potential. And you know, I, I think Unfortunately, I think that phrase is something that some adults say let themselves off the hook. You should not presume too much upon kids' resilience. Sure, they can bounce back from things, but how many things do you want to pile on them to try to make it necessary for these kids to bounce back from? You know, that, that is not a fair, uh, a fair thing to ask of kids. And also, you know, some of these things you can never get back. How many chances do you have to play high school football? you have four seasons, if you're lucky, you know, how many of those are you going to take away some kids, you know, if you know, I'm not everybody is an academic athletic scholar, you know, scholar athlete or, you know, world class theater kid. But some of those opportunities can never be regained for some of those kids who maybe would have gone to college on an athletic scholarship, or who maybe would have, um, you know, auditioned for a performing arts school. So I, I think that that is not a phrase that we should be operating under. We certainly shouldn't make policy with that kind of uh, mentality that, you know, uh, kids are tough, they can, they can cope. So, um, and obviously the, the learning loss, the mental health challenges have really um, given lie to that. And uh, obviously if you just wanna put dollars on it, there are lifelong earnings implications too for some of this learning loss and maybe missed chances at certain higher ed opportunities. So um, we really shouldn't be cavalier about the potential
0: uh, consequences for our kids. I, I thought a lot about the student athletes in high school when sports were canceled for so long. I was one of those kids. I came from a small town in Ohio and I got to go to a really good college because I was a, a good enough athlete. I mean, I wasn't going to the WNBA or anything. But <laughs> <laughs> it was okay. Um, and I got some scholarship money because of that. And that changed the trajectory of my life. And I just kept thinking about kids like that, who, who missed that window and that, that just sucks. It sucks. Yeah. Um, and you're right. You don't get that back. And a lot of parents got fed up with those odds. So, you know, with all of these schools, not just in Chicago, but across the state, a lot of the suburban schools too, around here, I'm, I'm in Mount Prospect. So I saw my neighbors deal with this through spring of last year. Um, and, you know, you, you also looked at enrollment. So for parents who didn't want to roll the dice again, or they just couldn't afford to, for whatever reason, uh, they made changes. So, what was the impact of these extreme school shutdowns on enrollment illinois public schools as a whole lost a
1: lot of kids from 2020 to 2021 usually in a given year it you know illinois has definitely had some population loss which we've written about. And so Illinois uh, State Board of Education would expect to see about a 1.1% decrease in enrollment statewide. Well, between 2020 and 2021, that was even higher. So it's three times that this year. The 2021 enrollment loss was 3.5%. It was a 3.5% decline compared to what they would have expected, uh, which would have been about a 1.1% decrease. So that's a lot of kids leaving Illinois public schools. Maybe some moved out of states where their parents thought it was likelier that they for sure would have uninterrupted in-person schooling. And maybe some switched to private schools you know, um, we mentioned earlier, CPS itself had a 3% drop in students from 2020 to 2021. So that's about 10,000 kids who left CPS over the last year. Meanwhile, the Archdiocese of Chicago, which has 157 schools, and it's about 50,000 kids in Cook and Lake counties. Um, the Archdiocese saw a 7% increase in students this year compared with last year. So I think clearly, A lot of parents were putting their kids in a school system that had shown that it could operate in person successfully and that didn't have the the constant instability with, you know, the looming threat of a teacher strike or a walkout or, um, you know, school disruptions. So and then I know there's a big increase in homeschooling, too. So I think a lot of parents were definitely looking for better more stable options for their kids, where they knew their kids would be consistently in school in person, and where the schools are, or you know, the teachers were on board with the schools, really trying to make it work. You know, there are so many great teachers out there uh, in CPS right now, and obviously in schools throughout Illinois, public and private. And I know that you know the, the union did vote to walk out last week, but it wasn't anywhere near what some previous strikes have gotten. Um, I think it was 73% of those who voted and not all teachers union members voted last week. So we can't forget that there's a significant number of CPS public school teachers who wanted to be in classrooms. And I think some who actually did show up and did at least help with students who had nowhere else to go, even if they weren't in classrooms teaching traditionally. So I I don't want to give short shrift to all those um, really just hardworking um, teachers who champion our kids and their learning needs uh, day in, day out, including in CPS. Um, but, you know, clearly parents need that stability. Kids need their schools and parents are increasingly moving to where their
0: kids or moving their kids to where they know they'll be in class. That's a good point about um, the vote among CTU members and the fact that there were a a significant number was a significant number of people who didn't vote to walk out. Um, It's been really interesting to hear from Chicago public schools, parents. So we, we met a woman named Sarah Sashen over a year ago, but she's a single mom. She's four kids. Two of them have special needs at school and they're all Chicago public schools students. The, her oldest uh, actually just got accepted to Penn State. She said that was a huge deal for their family. Um, and when we talk with Sarah, she she talks about how much she appreciates the public education system because she knows that her children with special needs in this area simply wouldn't have access to the same kind of um, benefits and instruction if they went to a private school or somewhere else that they get at CPS. Um, So even as she was voicing her frustration out at a protest the other day when it was like 12 degrees outside, um, she was talking about how much she loves her, her teachers at her kids' schools and how pleased she's been with the the learning that her kids have had access to. So I I do think that that's important. There's this tension. There's this tension between um, the fact that there are so many benefits in the public schools for kids. But when you take them away and you don't let kids into the classrooms, you know you don't get any of those benefits. So it's really, it's been tough for a lot of parents. Amy, I know you're gonna to continue to follow this story and the, the various data threads that come out. And I'm so grateful that you are willing to take some time and talk about everything that you've gleaned so far. So thanks again, and I really appreciate it.
1: Thanks for having me, Hillary. Thanks for joining us for today's episode. To keep up with all of our work at the Illinois Policy Institute and to sign up for our newsletter, visit IllinoisPolicy.org. If you like what you heard today, subscribe and give us a five-star review. We'll see you next week for another episode of The Policy Shop.